Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining, whether you're here in the house or you're joining online. It's great to have you. Um, I mean, without pushing it off, why does I just jump right in? Let's worship God this morning. So when you stand, uh, feel free to clap, dance, jump, whatever you feel like doing this morning. Yeah, you can do it. Are you weary? Come, are you thirsty? Come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the water, come and thirst no more. Come, all you sinners, come find his mercy. Come to the table, he will satisfy. Taste of his goodness, find what you're looking for. So love the world that He gave us, His one and only Son to save us. Whoever believes in Him will live forever. Bring all your failures, bring your addictions, come lay them down at the foot of the cross. Jesus is waiting there. With open arms For God so loved The world that He gave us His one and only Son to save us Whoever believes in Him Will live forever And praise God Praise God from whom all blessings flow praise him praise him for the wonders of his love praise god praise god from whom all blessings flow praise him praise him for the wonders of his So loved the world that he gave us, his one and only son to save us. Whoever believes in him will live forever. The power of hell forever defeated. Now it is well. I'm walking in freedom for God so loved. Oh, God so loved the world. Oh God, so love, oh God, so love the world. And open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up. Shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing holy. Holy, holy. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. Oh, I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you, oh, I want to see you, to see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory, pour out your power and love 
as we sing holy, holy, holy to see you high and lifted up shining in the light of your glory pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy holy, holy, holy Holy, 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 I want to see you. Holy, 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 I want to see you. I lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing, holy, 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 to see you. I lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing. Holy, holy, holy and Holy, holy, holy Holy, holy, holy Holy, holy, holy I want to see you Sing that again and Holy, holy, holy Holy, 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 I want to see you. Amen. Good morning. Before you're seated, won't you just wave, say hi to somebody, and then you can be seated this morning. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, I want to take this opportunity to welcome you today and uh, say how delighted we are you're here and welcome those of you who are joining us via live stream today. Uh, we're glad that you have joined us as well. And if it is, uh, if you are new here today, we're offering you a chilly welcome. Uh, our heating system went down earlier this morning. It's being worked on as we speak. And uh, just after you leave, it should be working. So, uh, just, just to let, it's just interesting the timing of what happens with things, isn't it? So at any rate, we are delighted you're here. If this is your first time, uh, it's usually warmer than this, and uh, we're delighted that you are here, and we want to be able to come alongside and support you and serve you and help you uh, in any way we can. And the way that we've chosen to connect with you to uh, make that initial connection is to ask you to fill out what we call a connection card, which you'll find in the pew right in the seat in front of you if you take that and fill it out. And at the end of the service, you can drop it at the, at the information desk just in the foyer, and someone will be there, and uh, there's a small gift there for you. If you have any questions, you can ask them, and uh, they'll be happy to help you out. So welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, last Sunday, we uh, on a balmy Sunday, uh, November morning, we uh, actually, yeah, it was last week. Yeah, last week was November. Who knows anymore, right? Uh, you know, we're, we announced that our poinsettia sales are on, and it seemed kind of odd, but today when I was walking out of my house and the snow flurries were falling, I thought, okay, we're, we're, we've arrived in a hurry. So just to let you know, uh, each and every year, we give opportunity for those in the congregation to uh, place a poinsettia in the church as part of our Christmas decor in memory of someone who has passed away or in honor of someone who is still living. And if you would like to do that, there's a couple of ways that you can go about it. The cost this year is $10 per plant, and that's because just, every, as we said last week, everything has gone up. But uh, you, can, uh, you can do it two ways. One way is on the way in or on the way out. There are forms that are at the information desk. You can fill that out, put your money with it, and uh, hand it in. Or you can also put that in the, in the offering. A second way you can do it is online through e-transfer. And you can send your e-transfer the same way with regular giving is at uh, e giving at epcoakville.com. And uh, you can include in the memo box who it is that it's in memory or in honor of. And that way, uh, later when we, uh, we 
promote that and post that and recognize those uh, who represent these plants that are here. We'll have that information from you. So um, just, just to let you know that as well. Well, today is a, it's a special day. Today we are congratulating Cindy Joyner on her retirement after serving as our office administrator here at EPC for approximately 17 and a half years. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, you know, in addition to serving the members of our congregation, and many of you have had the privilege of being on uh, the serving end of, of Cindy's time here, and those who are from our community, Cindy has worked alongside three assistant pastors, five youth pastors, five children's pastors, one lead pastor, two treasurers, multiple admin council members, and two custodians. So that's a lot of people to get used to over the years and to, to have that chemistry with and work with, but Cindy's done that diligently. Cindy has made a significant contribution to the ministry of EPC as she has faithfully served with compassion, diligence, and loyalty. Cindy's role reached far beyond administration as she patiently and caringly ministered to those that she had contact with, often encouraging and even praying with those who needed spiritual support while pastors were out of the office. Now for me personally, today is more than celebrating the retirement of a long-serving employee. After working together for so long, Cindy is like family. And uh, we've shared highs and lows, victories and defeats, excitement and discouragement, but always with the desire to see God's best for EPC and always with the resilience to keep going. And so, Cindy, to say that we're going to miss you, would <laughs> that's an understatement for sure. But we're thrilled for you. We really are. And we wish you and Lynn a healthy and happy retirement. And I would like you to come forward uh, and join me here. We have uh, something we want to present to you today. I know this is your favorite place to be in the church. It's up here in front of So thank you for being willing to do that. We didn't get you flowers because you're in the process of moving and we knew that was impractical. <laughs> so, but we do have this token of our love for you and we do love you and we're going to miss you. And um, yeah, so, and I want to give you an opportunity if you'd like to say a few things, say a few words. Sure, sure. Here you go. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is very hard for me, but I want to say good morning. It has been my honor to serve on the staff of Evangel for the last 17 and a half years. I always cry. But um, I have to say, it's been such a big part of my life, and you guys truly are my family. 26 years ago, my husband and I and our kids, we relocated to Oakville, and we it was in November, and we came in December to Evangel, and we visited here, and everyone opened, were so friendly, and they opened their arms. People invited us to their house right away. Um, it was so loving. We couldn't, we had to come here. It wasn't necessarily the biggest, the best, or all that, but it was just the love that we felt when we walked through the door. I encourage you, and I I ask you to please continue that. I see it today. We're, we vary through the years and numbers and different people in and out, but always the, the heart of this church has been so loving and people can see it. And I remember one incident, I have to tell this story. We were a young family. Our kids were six, four, and two, and my four-year-olds, and they just turned two and four in December that year. And my four-year-olds are twins. And we were just moving to a new area, knew no one. And we came to Evangel, and we were here for about three weeks. And um, we had this big dinner to go to, my husband and I, that we had to go to for his job. It was very important, and I needed to be there. I was meeting all the people at the office. And the whole reason we came to Canada in the first place 
other than the fact that I believe God ordained for us to be here. And um, our babysitter didn't show up. It was like two hours before, and she, I can't get in touch with her. I mean, it's 30 minutes before I'm not getting in touch with her, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I called the church, and I spoke with Birdie. And she was like, I'll see what I can do. And she contacted Joan. I believe her last name was Durden. She no longer comes here. And she came to my house, a grandma, totally understanding my situation and took care of the kids. I, I thought it was so amazing. And they loved her. She loved them. Even like a year ago, I saw her at, at a memorial service. And she said, remember that time? She's, I didn't even know she was still around. She doesn't come to the church here anymore. I think they've moved away. But you remember that time when you called the church and I came and I watched your kids? That's because the love this church has, the heart. And, and I just can't tell you how much it means to those outside and inside. And another thing, sometimes we get so busy doing for those inside or in our own lives that we don't see those around us inside or outside. Either we're so busy focusing on all the outside things to do, we don't see that person sitting right next to us. So keep your eyes open and your heart open. Continue to pray for me, and pray, and I'll continue to pray for you. I'll visit. I have. It's been an honor serving you, and it has been an honor being on this staff. Pastor Shane and Pastor Jennifer, they are family to me. They are awesome. Listen to the Word of God through him, and trust that God has you in the place you're supposed to be, and he will continue to guide Evangel. Thank you so much for being such a loving family to me. Thank you, Cindy. Cindy and I have somewhat of a good cop, bad cop thing going in the office when there's a need. Every time there's a need, Cindy's heart overflows, her eyes fill with tears, and she wants to empty all the cash boxes and help everybody. And then I'm the, the mean one who says, well, no, we can't really do that. And, and there have been so many days where I just look at her and say, you know what, just, just do whatever you want to do. It's, just, it's all right. So, so uh, hopefully going forward, someone else is going to have to step up and be, be the nice one uh, to, to, in those situations because her heart was always so full for, for people, especially those who are in need. So thank you, Cindy. God bless you. At the end of the service today, we will be celebrating Cindy's time here with a, with a social after church. We invite you to all stay and be a part of it and have an opportunity to say uh, goodbye to Cindy and uh, just to share some, some moments with her. I'm going to invite our children. If you are here today and you have children that are newborn up to age three, our nursery is available and open all through the service. And you can take your child downstairs at any time. And there's someone, there are people there that are waiting to care for them. And also for those who are in JK to grade five, you are free to meet over on this side with your volunteers. Ushers, would you prepare to receive the morning tithes and offerings at this time? And uh, as, you, as we give today, I'm going to hand it back to Andrew to continue to lead us this morning. God bless you. Thank you. Your mercy never fails me And all my days I've been held in your hands From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God all my life you have been faithful and all my life you have been so so good with every breath that I am able oh, I will sing of the goodness of God I love your voice 
You have led me through the fire In darkest night You are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend And I have lived in the goodness of All my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God How do you say this your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, surrendered now, I give you everything. Oh, your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, surrendered now, I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. All my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am made Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God Can we sing that again? All my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am made Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God I will sing of the goodness of God. Isn't God's faithfulness amazing? Isn't his goodness just so amazing? The fact that he doesn't leave us, he doesn't abandon us, but he's, this, he's there with us through everything. Amen. Standing on this mountain top, looking just how far we've come, knowing that for every step you were with. Kneeling on this battleground, seeing just how much you've done, knowing every victory was your power. Scars and struggles on their way, but with joy our hearts can say, yes, our hearts can say. Never once did we ever walk alone. Never once did you leave us on our own. God, you are faithful. Standing on this mountain top, looking just how far we've come, knowing that for every step you were with us, 
Kneeling on this battleground Seeing just how far Knowing every victory Is your power in us Scars and struggles on the way But with joy our hearts will sing Yes, our hearts can sing Never did we ever walk alone Never once did you leave us on our own You are faithful, God, you are faithful you are faithful, God, you are faithful. Scars and struggles on the way, but with joy our hearts can say, Oh, never once did we ever walk alone, carried by your constant grace, held within your perfect peace. Oh, never once, no, we never walk alone. Never once did we ever walk alone. Oh, never once did you leave us on our own. You are faithful, God, you are faithful. Every step we are breathing in your grace, and evermore we'll be breathing out your praise. Oh, you are faithful, God, you are faithful. Oh, you are faithful, God, you are faithful. You are faithful. God, you are faithful. Are you hurt? is calling Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling Oh come to the altar the Father's are open one forgiveness was born with the precious blood of Jesus Christ and leave behind your regrets and mistakes Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. blood of Jesus Christ, oh come to the 
altar The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with The precious blood of Jesus Christ And oh, what a Savior Isn't He wonderful Sing hallelujah Christ is risen Bow down before Him, for He is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. And oh, what a Savior, isn't He Christ is risen And bow down before Him For He is Lord of all Sing hallelujah Christ is risen And oh come to By laying yourself down, you covered the sins of humanity. That you paid that price that was meant for us. That you gave us new life. That, that now we are able to, to live in freedom, Lord. That we don't have to live the same as we might have yesterday we can break free from the things that are holding us back. That you died to cover our shame and our sin so that we can live free. So would we be reminded of that this morning? That we don't have to live in sin and shame. We can live in freedom. Freedom that's found in you. So God, I just pray that this morning as we hear from your word, Lord, that you would just speak to us, that you would refresh us, that you would be speaking through through Pastor Scott this morning. Lord, be, be here with us in this place. We know you're here, so would you just, would you move in our hearts, God? We come expectant for, for what you have for us this morning. We just thank you for, for who you are. In the name we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning we'll be reading from 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 6 to 15. And it says, But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled, and Yuzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Yuzah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Yuzah died right there beside the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Yuzah. 
He named that place Perez Yuza, which means to burst out against Yuza, as it still is called today. David was now afraid of the Lord, and he asked, How can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Then King David was told, The Lord had blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. Thank you. You may be seated this morning. Well, we all have those moments in our lives growing up where you are told by your parents or a teacher or someone in authority not to touch something because there will be consequences if you do. We've been in that phase of constantly telling our daughter what she isn't allowed to go near. And I don't know if you guys are the same. Uh, Mid-November hits and we put up our Christmas tree just yesterday with Lucy. And so now we're telling her not to go near the tree because, you know, we're, we're confident enough that we didn't tie the tree down. We didn't put a gate around it. Lucy can freely go up. And so we trust her to be able to listen to, to us when we say not to touch that thing. But I also remember last year, actually almost a year now, when we first moved into the upper level of the house that we're in, there's this gas range in our, in our kitchen. And before we could get our baby gates up to block off the kitchen, our daughter managed to sneak in without us noticing and turn on one of the gas burners, despite us telling us multiple times not to do so. All of a sudden, in front of her eyes, flames erupted under the burner and scared the daylights out of her because she finally understood why mom and dad kept telling her not to touch the oven. In fact, she got so scared from that that she even refused to turn on her plastic toy kitchen that also had a gas range where plastic flames would come up because she was so afraid of that moment. We are told not to touch something, and suddenly it makes us want to even more, despite knowing that there might be consequences to that action. Maybe you're like me, and, and as it gets colder, you start to get more static electricity built up, and when you go to shake someone's hands, you give another person a shock. It's one of my favorite things to do. It's like that big red button with the letters emblazoned on it, do not touch. It's almost there, it's there almost challenging us to have the guts to go ahead, to not listen, and to press it anyways. Has anyone ever seen the movie uh, Finding Nemo? Okay, in that movie... Nemo and his friends come across a fishing boat, and as they wonder what it is, and, and it's, it's a moment where, like, you know how sometimes kids use the wrong word to describe something that they see. One of Nemo's friends pipes up and, 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 and answers that the boat is a butt, right? And so they, the challenge goes out to them. Who's going to touch the fishing boat? So Nemo rises to the occasion, touches the boat, and then gets kidnapped. So there's obviously things that we really shouldn't touch. It could be done in response to a challenge. It could be done for a prank. It could be done because we don't understand why we can't touch something. And can it can also be done out of the best intentions. But ultimately, a lot of times when we don't understand and try to go ahead with our best intentions, there may still be consequences that we end up facing. Today, I'm excited to continue our fall series that we've been going through as a church titled Heart for God. And if you've been with us through this series, you'll know that it is a series all about King David. This is a man who was referred to throughout Scripture as a man after God's own heart. And so we've been able to explore the different parts of David's life that are recorded. We've been able to experience the amazing things that David has done and also learn about the not-so-amazing things, the bad and even the ugly moments where David made poor decisions and faced the consequences of that. Consequences that took a severe toll on himself and most particularly his family and his people. And it's important for us to glimpse all sides of David's life so that we can grow from the lessons that scripture has for us. We've seen how David began living in ways that stood opposite to his description as a man after God's own heart. In fact, many of those times can probably be described as a violation of God's heart for his creation. 
But for today's message in this series, we're going to be taking a step back a little bit in the timeline of David's life and see a moment before Bathsheba, before Tamar, before the census, where David is still very new in his role as the king of Israel. Only seven years into his reign, in fact. David has won many battles before this story. He has reclaimed Israel's capital, and after succeeding in making Jerusalem the political capital of Israel, he wants to make it the religious capital as well. And his way of achieving this is by bringing the Ark of the Covenant back back to Jerusalem. And if you don't know what the Ark of the Covenant is, it's basically this ornate gold-plated chest that housed the, the two tablets of the law given to Moses by God. It also contained a jar of manna and Aaron's staff. And essentially what the ark was, was the place where God's presence dwelt. And that's why it was so important for the people of Israel. In those days, the loss of the ark meant that the presence of God had departed. The ark was so important to the Lord that he gave Moses very specific instructions on how to build it so that the Israelites can move this resting place for God's presence through the wilderness and into the land of Canaan. And everywhere the ark was placed, God's glory rested there. And that is why David wanted it moved back to Jerusalem. But as we read this morning, though, things didn't quite go according to plan for David. In fact, there were multiple significant missteps in how he went about trying to complete this important task for him and his people. And so our first two points today will be focusing on two of the most significant characters in this story, while our final point will serve as an application of sorts. And so today we'll start off by looking at David's role in the story. In this text, we see that David has very good intentions in his quest to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. David confronts a challenge in his work as king and gets off to a good start in solving it. He believes that the ark of God should be brought back from where it had been left under Saul's reign. And by all accounts, David was right. He was right. This was a very important thing that had to be done. It was time for the ark of the covenant to no longer be left behind in the house of a man named Abinadab, where it had sat for 20 years. The Ark of God represented the immediate presence and glory of God in Israel. So naturally, David considered it a really high priority to bring the Ark out of obscurity and back into prominence. David wanted Israel to be alive with the sense of of the near presence and glory of God. And so what we read from 2 Samuel this morning is actually repeated in 1 Chronicles, but I find it adds a little bit of extra detail of the planning stages for David moving the ark back to Jerusalem. And so 1 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 1 to 3, says, David consulted with all his officials, including the generals and captains of the army. Then he addressed the entire assembly of Israel as follows. If you approve, and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send messages to all the Israelites throughout the land, including the priests and Levites in their towns and pasture lands. Let us invite them to come and join us. It is time to bring the ark of our God, for we neglected it during the reign of Saul. What is most interesting to me here in this passage, and I also wonder if if you noticed it as well, is that in the desire to bring back the ark to Jerusalem, David worked to consult all his officials, everyone around him, his generals, captains of his army. And then he addressed the entire assembly of Israel with the news, and to say that they were excited wouldn't even begin to cover it. This event was a massive undertaking, and so incredibly important to the people of Israel. But significantly, there's also a lot that we can learn about what this text doesn't say. Because with all the people around David who he consulted with, not once were we told that he consulted with God. And you'd think that that wouldn't be the case as he was wanting to bring the very thing that housed the presence of God and represented his closeness back to Jerusalem. But instead, we see from the very outset of the development of this idea that David maybe in his excitement over bringing back the ark, allowed his good intentions to overshadow the importance of asking God what his purpose was for this task. It's kind of like planning a birthday party for a good friend. You have everything lined up, right? You have music going, live music. You, you, you have food catered. Everyone who is close to them is there and involved in some way. But partway through the party, you realize that you forgot to invite the person whose birthday it actually is. All these good intentions— and dreams, and passions of David to make this the political move of his career completely misses the heart of God. And unfortunately, it's not like the people at the time can hang their hat on not knowing how the ark 
should be brought back to Jerusalem. They absolutely knew. In the book of Numbers chapter 4, it lists the duties of the Kohathite clan in the tribe of Levi. And one of those duties is how to carry the ark. It must be carried using two wooden poles that slide into each side of the ark, which must then be carried using the poles on the shoulders of the people from this clan. If they were to touch the ark, they would die from doing so. And this is all starting to sound a little bit familiar. These would be rules that David and his inner circle, as well as the priests and the people of Israel, would have heard about in their lifetime. But in the excitement and the energy from this decision made by David, which again is hugely political for him and would unite the 12 tribes and cement his rule, good intentions weren't applied with faithfulness to God. In fact, when the ark was in the hands of the Philistines, how do they transport it? Using a cart. And so we find David and his people who had God's law run into difficulty while transporting it using a cart of their own because they should have and did know better. And so we find David in the middle of transporting the Ark of the Covenant, and our text says that they placed the Ark of the Covenant on a new cart. And it's important that I point that out, a brand new cart from Abinadab's house, and that the cart was guided by Abinadab's two sons, Uzzah and Iho. In front of the cart was essentially a party. There was dancing. There was music. David and the people were celebrating. But the party was cut short, however, when the oxen tied to the cart stumbled. And in a moment that, again, was probably guided by good intentions, Uzzah reached out his hand out to steady the ark and was struck dead for touching it. From there, we get to read about a host of emotions that overcame David because of this. Second Samuel tells us that he was afraid, but First Chronicles goes further by telling us that he was angry with God. He was angry with God that this happened, and then he grew afraid. And it wasn't a healthy fear, but an unhealthy one that caused him to draw back and to even doubt this whole task, this whole journey of bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. David knew it was important to bring the Ark of the Lord into the center of Israel's life, and he wanted all of Israel to be excited about the presence and glory of God. But because of what happened to Uzzah, David felt he couldn't do it, or he couldn't do, rather, what God wanted him to do. Instead, David gave up, took the Ark aside, and left it at the house of a man named Obed-Edom for three months. And then, now I want to trans, uh, move into talking about Obed-Edom for a second. When it comes to the story of Obed-Edom, I like to think of this passing around of the Ark of the Covenant like the most dangerous game of hot potato ever played. Right? You know how that game goes. Hot potato, pass it on. Hot potato, pass it on. You're on fire. Right? Well, the proverbial hot potato has just landed on Obed-Edom's doorstep after someone caught on fire. And I would like to imagine, and I say that because our text actually doesn't specify, that David, when he showed up at Obed-Edom's house, told him why he was dropping off the Ark of the covenant, the very thing that housed the presence of God. I'd really like to think that David offered him that courtesy, and it wasn't just a matter of the king of Israel showing up on poor Obed-Edom's doorstep with, with the ark, the most important object in history. Either way, though, if you were Obed-Edom, you'd have a decision to make here. Like someone just died for mishandling the ark. And you can say, no, I don't want this in my house, and you can shut the door on your king's face. Or you can welcome it into your home and just asking the king to plop it down on the coffee table. For Obed-Edom, this is an out-of-this-world kind of situation, but as we read this morning, Obed-Edom welcomed the ark into his home while David journeyed back to Jerusalem. And that's where the ark remained for a whole three months. Now, Obed-Edom was actually a Levite of the Kohathite clan, which, as we now know, is the family, or the clan, rather, within the tribe of Levi that God commanded to transport and take care of the ark. And so, in keeping with those rules for care of the ark, we learn about how in the three months that the ark remained in Obed-Edom's house, he was blessed by the Lord, and his entire household was blessed as well. We can infer from this that Obed-Edom was a God-fearing man and showed proper reverence for the ark, unlike Yuza, who might have grown comfortable with it, having had it in his home for almost 20 years. Despite possibly knowing about Uzzah's fate, Obed-Edom welcomed the ark and seemingly had no misgivings. And as a godly man, Obed-Edom had nothing to fear. Proverbs 28.1 says, But the godly are as bold as lions. And it could be that he viewed having the ark in his home as a high honor rather than a nuisance. And God rewarded his attitude. When King David saw, or heard rather, that God had blessed Obed-Edom 
rather than him suffering a similar fate to Yuza, he realized that the problem wasn't God. The problem wasn't the ark. The problem was David's faithfulness to God's purposes. His fear of transporting the ark dissipated, and he went once again to retrieve the ark, and this time he did so according to God's law and brought Levites to carry the ark on their shoulders. After the ark was moved, we can read later in 1 Chronicles how Obed-Edom was blessed, and one of those ways he was blessed was with being given eight sons, all of whom and their father were listed as gatekeepers in God's temple. Obed-Edom in total had 62 heirs and a family legacy of complete faithfulness to the Lord. Obed-Edom, by his faith and attitude and actions, created a legacy of faith and relationship with the Lord. And the Lord was faithful back to Obed-Edom, establishing a legacy of blessings that spanned generations. Obed-Edom has such a small role in Scripture, but the magnitude of it is hard for us to ignore today. And in a lot of ways, Obed-Edom acts as a great foil for David later in life. As both men had key choices they needed to make, which affected the lives of them and their families. In fact, I think it's so interesting to take a look back at this earlier point in David's life, knowing what we know now about what lies ahead for him. With Obed-Edom, his choices and actions created a legacy of faith for him and his family, and all of his descendants were greatly blessed because of it. Obed-Edom and his sons were also elevated to the position of gatekeepers in God's temple, whereas in regards to David— we know later on that the choices that were made, or choices were made and mistakes were made, which greatly affected the future of his family and his position. But what it is that makes David a man after God's own heart is that after his mistake in this context, we see him take ownership of his sin. He confessed his mistake and he got back up on his feet and said, God, I'm going to learn from this. I want to be changeable. I want to be made humble. And we see that in how he went back to retrieve the ark after three months at Obed-Edom's house. He knew that his original good intentions were about him, were about his political position, were about solidifying his, uh, his, his kingship and not about God. I want to reread for you verse 13 to 15 of our passage from 2 Samuel this morning. It says, After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. So David gets the parade started. They take six steps, and he stops the party and makes one thing clear at the outset. That this moment isn't about him, but it is about God. And so they made an extravagant sacrifice to the Lord at the beginning of the parade. And later on, when they arrived in Jerusalem successfully with the ark, David made another burnt offering to God. So what is different in the second attempt at moving the ark? It looks pretty much the same as as the first one. David had the same good intentions that he had from the start. It looked the same. Again, they were dancing and worshiping with all that they had. The people involved could have easily just played the same songs as last time. They might not have needed even to practice or to learn new songs. The difference wasn't in the good intentions. The difference was in the faithfulness. David's role in the second attempt was to simply say that it is all about you, Lord. David David didn't hold back anything in his own expression of worship. He didn't dance out of obligation, but out of heartfelt worship. He was glad to bring the ark of the Lord back into Jerusalem, according to God's word. Michael, uh, the daughter of Saul, criticized David's dancing as he came back into, into Jerusalem as unbecoming of the king. But David didn't let that ruin his worship. He simply responded later on in, in, in verse 21 that he was dancing before the Lord. David simply explained the truth, that he was doing this for God. How many of us are here this morning and can say that, that we do what we do for God and for God alone? It's a difficult question to ask. I know that in my own life, it's a question that challenges my own ego, my own plans, my own good intentions. But I also know that when I put myself aside and choose to follow God's purposes for me and for my family, I'll see that his ways have always been better than my own. And that is what leads me to worship him with all that I have. David knew it was important to bring the ark of God into the center of Israel's life. He knew it was important. 
He wanted all of Israel to be excited about the presence and the glory of God. And because of what happened to Uzzah, David felt he couldn't do what God had wanted him to do. The whole account reinforces the principle that God is invested in the process as well as in the outcome. God is invested in the process as well as in the outcome. It would never do for David or Israel to have the attitude, you know, as long as we get the ark to Jerusalem, it doesn't matter how we do it. As long as we get it there, that's, that's all that matters. But how they did it really did matter. How they did it really did matter. And how we do things today, especially in serving God, also matters. The best thing to me about looking at the life of David is how applicable it is to you and I in the present day. What have been our good intentions? Maybe we have some for our, our homes, our, our families, our workplaces, but most particularly for our church, our relationship with Jesus. So what would, what would ever cause the presence of God and the desire to honor his will to decline so far in our lives that we make the decisions that don't reflect his will? For our lives. That we read his word without letting it transform our hearts. That we pray empty prayers without the faith to believe that God even hears them. That we walk past people who are suffering and in need and feel no desire to be the hands and feet of Jesus to a hurting world. Our faith lives can't be boiled down to, you know, as long as I pray, it doesn't matter how often or when I do it. Or as long as I go to church on Sunday, I don't have to allow the message to change the way that I live. I believe that we have become so focused on the routine and, and, and the generality of our faith that we've actually begun neglecting the heart of God in doing so. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. And while the author in this, in, in, in this is focusing specifically on on the subject of the Word of God, the same principle applies with what we are discussing here this morning. James makes it clear that those who trust God don't merely become experts at simply listening. To believe is to act upon what we hear. The faithful don't stop at the good intentions that we have in our relationship with Jesus. Faith in Christ isn't, isn't just the map, it's the actual journey. Merely, merely nodding our heads at the Word is not enough. We need to live lives with a genuine desire to faithfully live out God's purposes for us. We need to figure out which way God wants us to go and to actually go that way. Good intentions a lot of the time looks like trying to improve on God's way of doing things. It looks like updating God's ways because they just don't seem efficient for a new age. The idea of putting the, the ark on an ox cart didn't come from nowhere. Again, it came from the Philistines. And then you have David and the Israelites thinking in their good intentions to bring it back to Jerusalem that they found a better way than the way they knew was, was written in God's word. I mean, the text did specifically say that they had a new cart and maybe it had that new cart smell, but it wasn't done in faithfulness to what God had asked of his people. God is interested in the process as well as in the outcome and that same idea is so true for our lives today. I'd like to invite the worship team back up. In a moment, the team is going to lead us in a time of worship, and I'll be coming down to the front to pray with anyone who needs prayer this morning. But before we do that, I want to encourage each of us today to take, to take stock of our relationship with God. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, you know what? Yeah, I've been, I've been going about this with my own good intentions, but ultimately I've been doing things my way, not God's. And I need God's presence in my life. A lot of times, like David, we try to make God a part of our campaign. Many times, God is used for our own purposes, deciding ahead of time that, that this is my dream, and now God is going to step in and, and, and help make it happen, to give it to me. This is my plan, now God is going to bless it. Sure, we can have good intentions in those things, but without looking to our Heavenly Father who makes our paths straight, we can end up in a place where, like David, we realize it wasn't done for God in the first place. His instruction and his purposes are given for his glory and for our good. When we go after God with a heart and a desire to know him, and when we seek his purposes according to his will, we are going to receive that which we are after. When we stop trying to get it through our own means, that's when we will find the heart of God for his people. 
when we open ourselves to the leading of the presence of God in our lives, like Obed-Edom, we will find his goodness, his love, and his blessing. So as the band leads, I invite you to stand and worship with us this morning. If you need prayer, again, you are free to come up and I will pray with you. But as you worship, I encourage you to allow God to speak to your heart on the things in our lives and in our relationship with him that we have tried to bring him into when in reality we have only been working for ourselves and not allowing the heart of God to be our own. Let's be the ones here today willing to say, I want all that the Lord has to offer. I want to experience his presence. I want to experience his power in my life. Let's worship today. same God who never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. He's working all things out. Oh yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley yes i will bless your name oh yes i will sing for joy when my heart is heavy in all my days oh yes i will same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. Working all things out. Oh yes, I will lift you high. In the lowest valley, oh yes, I will bless your name. Oh yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy and all my days. Oh yes, I will for all my days. Oh yes, I will. I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names. And nothing can stand against, and I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names. And nothing can stand against, and I choose to praise. To glorify, glorify the name of all names. And nothing can stand against, and I choose to praise. To glorify, glorify the name of all names. That nothing can stand against. And yes, I will lift you high. In the lowest valley, yes, I will bless your name. Oh, yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy in all my days. Oh, yes, I will for all my days. Oh, yes, I will. So Jesus, we respond this morning with a yes, I will. God, we want to respond to your faithfulness to us with our own faithfulness to you in our lives, Jesus.
God, as we go from this place today and we go about our weeks and we get back into routine, Lord God, may we remember that you are with us and you desire relationship with us. God, we lift up the prayers of our church family this morning. God, we pray for Phil Kehoe, who's in the hospital, Lord Jesus. And I just pray that you have your hand upon him, Lord God. You be with the doctors and the nurses. And God, whatever is going on in his life, Lord, I just pray for healing over his body. For safety for him. Jesus, we pray for Joe Pollock as well, God, as we've been praying the past couple weeks. Lord, I pray for comfort, for strength in his life as he's at home and healing. Jesus, may you be with him. And God, we also lift up Cindy to you. Lord, we thank you for the many years of faithfulness she has shown to this church and she has dedicated so much. God, she is leaving a legacy of compassion. We thank you for all that she has done and I bless her and her family as they move, as they get settled into retirement. God, may you bless this next phase of their lives. But God, we love you. We give you praise for how good you are, and we pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless. Don't forget to stick around for the social, to, to, to give Cindy a hug and say some kind words, and uh, we'll see you guys next week.